Well, it's good to see you. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go ahead this morning. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 12. This is going to be our last uh, message in the book of Daniel. We've actually been in Daniel nine weeks, y'all. It's a long time. I, I like the book of Daniel. I was glad to be in it for quite some time, but I'm going to be glad to get out of it, too. I'm like, Daniel's a little bit heavy, too. You know, like you always talk about the end times and prophecy, and it's a little bit heavy. Like next week, I'm just going to preach like, you know, the next month or so. I think I'm just going to try to preach the most encouraging things I could possibly come up with for a month or so. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever the Lord leads me to do, but regardless... Thanks for uh, joining me with it. I hope this has been a blessing to you, but we're in Daniel chapter 12. We're going to finish. Before we begin, I want us to pray, and I, I want to mention something to you. One of, our, one of our precious members here at City of Hope Church, she's been coming with Barb for, feels like years now probably. Yeah. And, well, she, she went home to be with the Lord this past week. And uh, there's, there's a picture of Evelyn, and some of y'all, you may remember, she used to come in kind of on her walker, and I thought, I was thinking about her this morning as I was preparing for this message, and just different things, and, and I just imagined her, she's, she's not on that walker anymore, you know what I'm saying, she's with the Lord, and so yeah, we can give the Lord a hand clap of praise, because, because that's even part of what this message is about uh, this morning, and it's about, it's about the fact that when we, when we think about death as, uh, as Christian people, obviously there is sadness, there is grief, there is mourning. But with the Christian believer, there should also be some rejoicing in our hearts. The Bible says that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. And let me tell you something, Evelyn used to come, I can't tell you the number of times she would walk up here on her walker and say, would you pray with me for my family? And, and would you pray that my family would be saved? And that's a testimony to us because she was so, so passionate and so uh, just driven to pray for her family. She wanted to see her family saved. So I want to pray this morning before we get into our message. I want to pray for Evelyn's family and, and just give God thanks for her life. And, uh, and also just pray for people out there this morning that are, that are dealing with grief, that you're dealing with trouble. Uh, there's a verse that came to my mind this morning. David said that I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And sometimes I feel like some people just need to see the goodness of the Lord and say, you know what, I'm not waiting to death to see your goodness, God. I need some breakthrough and see your goodness right here in this moment. So, so would you just join me in prayer this morning, Father? We thank you, Lord, for Evelyn, for the life that she lived. I thank you, God, that you reached out, you touched her heart, you saved her. And I pray, Lord God, that, that upon her death, I know that she's with you, Lord Jesus, and there's no more pain in her life, that there's no more physical ailment, Lord God, but that she is completely renewed in you, and she's in perfect joy and bliss. But Lord, we pray that her prayers for her family, God, would be answered. We pray that peace would come to her family, that her entire family would be saved, God, in Jesus' name. And we just bless each and every person that's here this morning, God. We need to hear your word. But Lord, I pray right now specifically for those that have been just dealing with trouble and difficulty and, and, and God, they've just not seen your goodness. Like David said, I would have fainted if I had not believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I believe that Holy Spirit, you've come this morning to tell somebody that your goodness is just around the corner, that they're going to see your goodness, God, in the land of the living. And so we look to you, Jesus. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us this morning, to refresh us, to strengthen us and to teach us and give us instruction through your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Daniel chapter 12, and I'm going to title this message, Looking Forward. 
And there's a lot of things in Daniel chapter 12 that we're going to go through. I'm going to go through five specific things that we get to look forward to uh, that Daniel 12 talks about. But how many of you, like, life just goes a lot better when you feel like you've got something on your calendar to look forward to? Anybody feel that way about stuff? Like, I don't know about you, but I feel like if I've got something planned, if I'm looking forward to something ahead, I just feel better about life. It sort of gets me through the mundane day-to-day drudgery. But 2020 has been a weird year. Can anybody amen me? Like, I had a lot of things on the calendar, man, that I was looking forward to that got shot right in the, right in the belly. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it just, it just said, no, that ain't going to happen. I had a trip, man. I was going to go to Wyoming, I was going, and, and that got canceled. And I was going to go to Louisiana, and then that got canceled. Then I was going to go to Florida, and all that got wiped out. And I said, Lord, what in the world do I get to go anywhere? And finally, I got to take a trip to Louisiana, and, then I, th- and, then, and I was about to go to, to Louisiana again last week, and guess what happened? Two hurricanes hit, so they shut that down. Like, it's just one thing right after another. You're just shutting things down that we look forward to. But in Daniel chapter 12, what you're going to find out is that God has got a calendar, and on His calendar, there are some things that are never going to get canceled. There are some things that God has planned for your life, and they're never going to get canceled. And I want you to know this morning that no matter what we're dealing with, I believe that God has good plans for His people. I know we go through difficulty, and we talked about the grieving process last week and going through hard times, but I believe that God has good things on, his, on the calendar for us. I believe He's got good things on the calendar for you as an individual, for your family. I believe He's got good things on the calendar for us as a church. And I believe that we are moving into that. I believe we need to look at that. But see, Daniel, he started to see some things on the calendar. And like we saw last week, what he saw on the calendar, it looked like things were getting canceled. He thought maybe he was going to get to go home. He thought things were going to work out. And just like it's been for us in 2020, man, that stuff just got erased off the calendar. He said, I'm an old man. I'm not going to get to go back to Jerusalem. My life has went away. And then when I look forward, God, it doesn't look like all of your plans are that great. It looks like some things are a little bit challenging and difficult. But Number one in your notes, right out, of the, right out of the gate, here's what Daniel 12 teaches us, and that is that God rescues the troubled. God rescues the troubled. And I believe that right now God is wanting to tell somebody, look, I know you've been in, some tr- in a troublesome season, but if you look at God's faithfulness throughout history from the beginning to the end, He is faithful to rescue His people. He is faithful to bring peace to those who are troubled. And when we call upon Him, we can trust and know that God is there to rescue the troubled. And this is what we need because right now we are dealing with a world that is in great trouble. Amen. We're dealing with a world where people are troubled in various instances of their life in different ways, in many different ways, and the entire world is under this pressure right now. But see, we need to understand. I believe that sometimes when pressure comes in, people begin to realize, one thing, I'm mortal, and two, I don't control the future. I have no idea what's coming, and I'm just a human being. I mean, we're scared to death of death, aren't we? And we realize, man, we're just mortal beings. What does that help us to do? It helps us to realize that we need a Savior. We need a rescuer. We need a deliverer. We need somebody who's going to step in and save this thing. And right now, people are running around frantically. We just hope somehow that we could get the right dude elected that could just fix things. And we've talked about that, that how ultimately every world ruler is descending and going down. But ultimately, one world ruler will come, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he will set things back in order. Here's what it says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. God rescues the troubled. He says at that time, and it's very interesting because now God has shown him a vision of literally the end of time. 
He's shown him all of the world rulers that are coming. He's showed him the first coming of Christ the Messiah. He's shown him the second coming of Christ the Messiah. He has shown him the great tribulation and the Antichrist rising up at the end. And then in the very end, he tells him at that time, at that time, Michael shall stand up. Now, Michael is a warrior archangel. He's one of the two angels, well, three, I should say, that are mentioned by name in Scripture that we know of. And it says, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Notice this. It says, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. Well, nobody's looking forward to that. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So just like we said, we're talking about, he says, there's going to be a time that, when, that at the end that Michael the archangel is going to rise up. He's going to stand up because he's looking for something. He's waiting for a moment. And God knows exactly what's going to take place in this moment. But do you realize that the world at hand is being deceived by the wicked one? And God is in essence, here's the thing about God. When we talk about the wrath of God, we've discussed this. I've got a sermon in the, in the, in the books there that you can go back and listen to about the wrath of God. But the wrath of God in the New Testament is, is, is described in Romans 1 that when people choose to reject God, it's not that He's back here smiting them with thunderbolts. It's that He is turning them over to what they desire. And we are living in a world in which God is turning people over to their desires. And we have rejected God. We've said, God, we don't want you in our school systems. We don't want you in our family. We don't want you in our homes. We don't want to live the way that your book says. We want to live our own ways. We want to choose what we're doing. And God simply in His wrath says, go ahead. And we're beginning to live in a world where these things are coming to pass. And so when we talk about this, we're not talking about God being so angry that He's punishing people. We're talking about God giving humanity what they desire. Amen. Right? And so he's saying this, but he says there's going to be a time of trouble. And it's not a time of trouble because God is angry. It's a time of trouble because people have rejected God and they enter into something which a lot of scholars call the Great Tribulation. Anybody ever heard of the Great Tribulation? Now we read in, in Daniel a couple of chapters ago. Remember we talked about the 69 weeks. He prophesied. He says there's going to be 62 weeks. Then there's going to be 7 weeks. And at the end of those 62 and 7, which is 69 weeks or 69 seven-year periods from the time that the commandment went forth to restore Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah was 69 weeks. And Jesus came on that date. Gabriel predicted it. But then it entered into, after Jesus died, what we know later is that in 70 AD, Israel ceased to be a nation. And we entered into what was called the time of the Gentiles. And so the 70th week still has not happened. And the Bible teaches in Daniel that the 70th week, when it comes, it is a time of great trouble. It's a time of great tribulation. And the Bible teaches us right here, he says, look, when that time comes, it's going to be a time that comes on the world that has never been since there has been a nation on the earth. It's going to be a bad time. And everybody, you know, like, if you, how many of you ever, like, when I remember when I first started reading the Bible, you know, I was like, well, let's go to the book of Revelation first thing. Just flip back to the back. I'm like, oh my gosh, what in the world is going on? Because it, it, it's a little bit frightening. Anybody amen me? And it's discussing these things. And then so, so this leads us to the place where we believe. Like how many of you, you've, you've heard of the rapture, right? A lot of people have heard of the rapture, what that is. I'm not going to get into exactly what, what, what I think you should believe in terms of that because honestly there's a lot of different beliefs concerning the rapture. But when people teach about the rapture, what they teach is that there's either a pre-trib rapture 
a mid-tree of rapture or a post-tree of rapture? Right? And, and they, they believe these things. What they believe, so a post-tribulation rapture, or a, a pre-tribulation rapture, I should say, means, and it's based on 1 Thessalonians 4, it says that when Jesus returns, He descends from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and it says those who are dead in Christ shall arise up out of the ground, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That word caught up in the Latin is rapamur. It's where they get, it's where they get the word rapture from. We shall be caught up in the air to meet the Lord and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now that's good news. I'm excited about getting caught up to meet the Lord. I mean, can you imagine? It says in the moment of time, in the twinkling of an eye, in that moment when Jesus returns, you and I shall be transformed in a twinkling of an eye, in a nanosecond. You and I will put on glorified bodies if we have not yet died and been put into the grave and we shall be caught up in the air to meet the Lord and we shall always be with the Lord from that day forward. Now some people believe that the church will be raptured before the great tribulation happens and that will begin the seven year period. Some people believe that it will happen midway through three and a half years in and then there are other people that believe that it really doesn't happen until the very end of the tribulation where we all get caught up. Now there are other scriptures that said well you know there shall be two in Matthew 24 Luke 17 it says there shall be two in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. Right? There's another, but, but, but here's what I want you to understand about the pre-tribulation rapture. This was not even a teaching until the 1830s. It came from a woman named Margaret MacDonald, a young lady who had a dream and had a vision. And this guy named Darby listened to her vision and he began preaching it. And it got in the Schofield Bible and it became very popular. Before that, the early church believed that when it talked about one being taken and another left, it was actually talking about the Pax Romana. That's what they wrote about. Now, they, I'm not saying they had it all right. I'm not even telling you whether to believe pre or post-trib. That's not my point here today because I'm going to get to my point here in just a minute. I'm saying there are different beliefs as far as what will happen, and I could preach either one of them. I could have come in this morning and preached pre-trib rapture, son, and had you scared to death getting right with God. You better be ready because the rapture's coming, and we're going to be, people are going to be driving down the road, and one of you is going to go, and the other is going to stay. But they actually believed, right? The, the early church, they taught and believed that that scripture was referring to when Rome came in, they did something called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And in order to frighten people and teach people that they were the ones in control, they would walk into a house, take one, and leave another. Because they end up asking Jesus, where will they go? And he says, where the, where the vultures are gathered, there will the, where the carcasses are gathered, there the vultures will be. And what he was saying is, there's going to be a mountain where they would take these people, they'd crucify them all, and they'd die, and the carcasses would gather around, and Rome was trying to say, we're in control here. So that's how they viewed it. They also viewed the preacher, they also viewed the rapture scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4, not that you go to heaven and wait seven years, but they viewed it as a king returning. Because when a king returned, they would go out to meet the king and then usher him back in. When you used to see old, old movies of ancient kings who would conquer, the whole city would move out to meet him and greet him and then come back. So whether you believe in pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, I need you to understand that either way, whichever one you believe in, you need to be ready. That's what Jesus ultimately teaches. He says, you don't know the hour or the day. You don't know ultimately when the Lord's coming back. And that may make you lean toward a pre-trib because if you're in the tribulation, it's kind of a dead giveaway, right? You're like, well, right here's the mark of the beast. We got about three and a half years. Let's wait this out, right? 
So I mean, so 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 it could be pre-trib, it could be post-trib, but what you need to do is be ready. Because if it does not happen, we may be going through some very difficult circumstances. But no matter what we go through, God will rescue his people from trouble. He will keep his people. That's what he proved in the book of Daniel. That when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, an angel came and shut the mouths of the lion. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was thrown into the fiery furnace, which could be a picture of the tribulation, what happened? The flame did not touch them. So we believe no matter what we're going to go through as the people of God, that God is able to rescue His people from trouble. I don't know. I, I can't make a doctrine. I, I don't want to make any doctrinal statement on any of these things because at the end of the day, I just don't know. Is that okay for your pastor to not know some things? We've got a lot of questions when it comes to biblical stuff, and anybody who does think they know anything, they better check themselves. Before, as the rapper said, they rickety-wrecked themselves, right? I mean, you have to be careful with these things, and the rapture is not one that we need to get caught up in to the degree that we're going to fight over it. Either way, God is going to deliver us, and He's going to deliver us one of three ways. God will sometimes deliver you around some things. And what I mean by that is, I don't know about you, but sometimes when things happen to me, I start dealing with worst case scenario, man. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. We're going to be destroyed. Everything's coming to an end. You ever get in that situation? You're just like, it's all over. We ain't going to make it. And then I find out, then I find out in my crazy mind that guess what? The Lord taught me to pray. You know what, Lord? Do not deliver me into temptation. Right? Do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil. So I pray, Lord, don't even lead me into temptation. And what I find is so many things I worry about, God ends up just delivering me around them. I don't even have to go through it. But then there are other times when God doesn't deliver me around it, but I actually go through it. But guess what? He delivers me through it. You know that Jesus, in order to get delivered from death, He had to go through the cross. Do you know that in Psalm 23 it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Sometimes God is going to take you through some things, but He will refine you and He will deliver you through it. And if He does not deliver you around it, if He does not deliver you through it, He will ultimately deliver you from it. Do you know that our sister that went on, Evelyn, that went to be with the Lord, do you know that she has been delivered from it? She has been delivered from sin, from sickness, from death, from pain. She has went to be with the Lord. And ultimately, as Christians, we have got to understand Martin Luther King Jr. I love one thing that he said. He said, if you're going to overcome in this life, you've got to get free from greed and you've got to get free from the fear of death. Two things. You've got to quit loving money and you've got to quit being afraid of death because, because money will destroy you. It'll take place of God. But death will put such fear in you that you will forget how to live. Somebody amen me in the house this morning. You cannot forget how to live for Christ because you're afraid of death. Death for us is not something we should be afraid of. Our Lord and Savior has conquered death and that should, be, that should resound in our hearts every time that we worship. I'm not saying, look, nobody wants to die. I'm not saying we should live recklessly, right? I'm not going out here risking my life all the time. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to let fear of death keep me from living. And he's going to deliver me either around it, through it, or ultimately he's going to deliver me from it. But what does he say? He says, all of those, he says, your people will be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. I'm like, boys, put my name in that book, right? What kind of book are you talking about, Lord? I need to know because I'd like to get my name in the book. The question is, is your name written in this book? In Luke chapter 10, there were 70 disciples that came to Jesus. And he'd given them power and authority. And they said, look, Lord. They said, we're so, we're, it's amazing. The spirits are subject to us in your name. 
And he said, he said, you know what? I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He said, and I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But then he says this, do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says, I give you a reason to rejoice when you come in here and worship. You can thank God. Why? Because your name is written in the book of life in heaven, penned in the blood of Jesus Christ. Your very name is written in heaven. In Revelation 3, he mentions it several times. In verse 5, he says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. How do we get on that guest list, folks? I mean, used to I like to party, you know what I'm talking about, but that right there is going to be a party that you and I do not want to miss. You and I don't want to miss. I want to be on the guest list. You ever went to a party and you weren't on the list? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I want to be on that list. I want to go and the bouncer be there. Michael the archangel say, yep, you on. Go on in. <laughs> How did I get on that list? Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He came and He died on the cross for my sin and for your sin. And He went down into the depths of the earth, into Sheol. And on the third day, He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And He was raised again from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit. He conquered sin and death for you and I. He became our substitute. And because I believe in Him, I put my trust in Him. I've said, Lord, I'm, putting, I'm banking everything on who you say you are, that you are God, that you've conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And because I've got trust in Him, He's given me a new spirit a new heart and a mind and he has given me the gift of eternal life and he has written my name down in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. We've got to trust Jesus. We've got to follow him. Here's secondly. Secondly, God raises the dead. This is what it says in Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 through 3. It says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now the question that the world is asking is what happens to you after you die? Anybody ever ask? I remember I went to college, and I went to college, man, and we, we, we actually dealt with this conversation. Of course, nobody really believed any good things. I was introduced to all kinds of different beliefs about what happens to you after you die. Y'all ever experienced some of that? There's, some, there's a lot of different beliefs out there. So let me, let me go through just some different beliefs. Let's put these up here. About the, these are other views of the afterlife than what we believe as Christians. Y'all ready to go through these? I'm going to teach you just a little bit. First is materialism and naturalism. Now, when I went to college, this was the favorite one. This means that ultimately you're not a spirit, you're not a soul. You just have a body and you are a makeup of chemical reactions and, you're a process, and you are an evolutionary process. Right, that we are evolving. We came from apes and little, a little cell and this and that and organism. But ultimately, guess what? Death is the conqueror because everybody dies and you cease to exist. Man, that's a lot of hope in that, isn't it? I was like, boys, this is encouraging. We just die and there's nothing. Hallelujah. That one right there actually helped turn me to the Lord. I got to be honest with you. I was like, you boys trying to win me to atheism and you're not doing a very good job. Number two, universalism. Universalism is actually becoming a very popular teaching in the church today. Uh, I've actually talked to a lot of Christians that, that, that shocked me. I remember I went to school and one of my professors, brilliant Bible teacher. I mean, I listened to everything he preached. And then one day he was in a conversation with another man who was a theologian. And in this conversation, he said, well, you know, like you, I am a universalist. But he said, I fear 
like you that we may just be a product of the spirit of the age. Amazing, isn't it? And here's what universalism means. Universalism means that ultimately all people will be saved. Ultimately, everybody will be saved. And I got to be honest with you, when I hear that in my heart, I'm like, gosh, I kind of like that. You know, I hope I, I want every. Do you know that God wants everybody to be saved more than you do? God wants universalism to be a reality, but the problem is, is that human beings still have a choice whether they're going to reject Jesus Christ or whether they're going to love Jesus Christ. And when we talk about heaven, what we're really talking about is a person. When we talk about heaven, we're really talking about Jesus, and it's about whether or not we love Jesus or we reject Jesus. And those who love Jesus and have chosen to believe in Him and follow Him, they will experience eternal life with Him forever. Those who reject Him will not experience eternal life with Him forever. There is another place for them. We're talking about heaven and hell here. And see, when you start dealing with universalism, there's a very guy, a popular guy named Rob Bell who really kind of made this very, uh, very pop culture-ish. Uh, to, to our spiritual world. But, but they believe that ultimately, like I said, everybody's going to say, you, you get to heaven, Hitler going to be sitting there at the table. You know what I'm saying? Be like, Hitler, interesting to see you here, buddy. What's going on? Right, buddy, you know, at the, in the end, everybody's saved. Hallelujah. You know, I mean, like, I, and look, I, I don't want to make light of that because ultimately we should have a heart where we want everybody to be saved. Amen. God wants everybody to be saved. But ultimately, Scripture teaches, just like this does, that at the resurrection, some shall be raised to everlasting life and sh some shall be raised to everlasting shame and contempt. There is a dividing line, and His name is Jesus Christ. And we have to wrestle with that. We have to work through that. I gotta, look, you've got to understand, there are some things in the Bible that when I read it, I wrestle with it and I say, I wish that wasn't there. But guess what? Just because I have different emotions or different feelings, guess what I do? I submit my emotions, I submit my feelings to what the Scripture says because God is true and just because I feel differently, just because the world believes differently doesn't mean that I can change what is actually true. And so universalism is something that we got to deal with. Thirdly is annihilationism. Now, this one is kind of interesting, and I could preach it and probably make you believe it from Scripture. But ultimately, all these, I mean, I might could do a decent job, but that's what's called a heretic and a false teacher. Amen, right? That's why we try to stick to the truth. <laughs> annihilationism is a belief that when people go to hell in the end, that sooner or later they just burn up and cease to exist. But again, over and over again, the Scripture uses the language of some shall be raised to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. What does that mean? That means that God's creatures are all eternal beings. The difference between you and us and God is that God has no beginning. He has no end. We have a beginning, but we have no end either, right? We are eternally made in the image of God the Father, and you will have eternal consciousness in one, in one place or another, in one state of being or another. This is what, this is what happens. So fourthly is re reincarnation and purgatory. Now these are some interesting ones or two. Reincarnation, I, I learned a lot of this when I went to India because in India, like cows will be walking down the street, man, they got those things dressed up. And I asked one of the guys, I was like, man, how come, how come what's going on here with the cows? Like, and it's and, and like, well, you know, Hindus, they, they, they believe in reincarnation. That could be one of their ancestors. So they honor one of their ancestors that has come back as a cow. Look, if I'm going to come back as something, please don't make me a cow. Uh, but, but, but regardless... And I watched a dude worshiping a rat, a very large rat, underneath a tree. 
because they believed that that was possibly one of their ancestors that had returned as a rat. So that's reincarnation. But also, you, you have, you know, if you, if you go to India sometime, it's a wonderful place to go. But because they believe that way about cows specifically, when you go to, when I want, we went to McDonald's in the airport, and I said, boy, I'm trying to get me a Big Mac. And they said, well, you do realize they don't sell beef here. I was like, well, what's the Big Mac then? It was the Chicken Mahara Mac, right? <laughs> Because they don't eat beef, they eat chicken because of that, because they're belief in reincarnation. So the other one is purgatory. Now, I was raised Catholic, and, and, and they believed in purgatory, and I learned a little bit about this. But this is like, okay, if you turned out to not be that good of a Christian or something, if you didn't do well enough, well, you get to go, after you die, you get to go into like a holding tank where you can sort of work for a while until you get things figured out, and then finally you get to go into heaven. And the Reformation happened where a lot of the Protestant church or the entire Protestant church broke off from the Catholic church. This is one of the beliefs that they dealt with because the preachers in the Catholic church would go out and they would preach this statement. They would say, as soon as a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. What they would tell you is that your beloved ones who have went on, they, you can actually buy their way into heaven. That there was a holy time. The closest thing in Scripture that we have to purgatory is this. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it teaches that when you and I stand in judgment, all of our works will be put to the fire. In other words, you and I as Christians, we're going to pass through a refining fire. But it's not a holding tank to see whether or not we get into heaven. It is a purifying fire so that we go purified into heaven and we see if our works actually make it into the next life. Whether or not there's a reward after the next life, that is the closest thing to purgatory that we get. But see, we have one chance ultimately, folks. we got one chance for salvation, and it's here in this life when we live and when we breathe, and we have to deal with that. Now, let me say this about that because some people will say, well, Clay, I get these questions a lot. What about people who have never heard the gospel? Do you and, and again, this is, a, this is a lot. I'm getting into some debating type of issues right here this morning. Anybody down? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Nobody really knows the truth of a lot of things, but here's, here, there's a book called Eternity in Their Hearts. And this missionary talks about how he went to several different tribes and he knows of other people who went to tribes. And they went there and they preached the gospel and there were a few different tribes that whenever they got there, they start preaching Jesus to them and the entire tribe begins to weep. They fall down on their hands and their knees and they just begin to cry. And, and he talks to them and he says, what is it? And they said, we've been worshiping this God our entire lives. We just never knew his name. And you've told us his name. His name is Jesus. We knew about a man who died for us. How'd they know that? I don't know. But they knew. But see, even, even, even Daniel himself, he, he didn't know the gospel, did he? Not the way that we do. Jesus had not yet come. You're going to say, well, Daniel didn't hear the gospel. He's in hell. Uh, don't be so rigid. Ultimately, God is the judge, and we know that Daniel is going to be there because it says it right here. It says it right here that he will arise to his inheritance. In other words, God reveals himself throughout history. Just because they didn't come into a church with blue seats and hear a, a preacher preach the gospel very clearly, God has revealed himself through nature, he's revealed himself through conscience, and he has revealed himself through law. And ultimately, God is the judge. And here's what I'll say about that. Y'all are going to come to the day of judgment, and I guarantee you that both of us, we will be in awe of what actually happens on the day of judgment. Because you and I don't think correctly about things. We think anybody who said the sinner's prayer is going to make it, and anybody who didn't say the sinner's prayer is not going to make it. Saying the sinner's prayer is great, but the Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows those who have responded in faith to what He has revealed to them. Somebody amen me. 
So I don't want you to be in grief because you're uncertain of who's been in heaven or who's in heaven or if they're not in heaven. God does not want His people grieving over that. What He wants them to do is say, you know what, I don't know who's in heaven. God's ultimately the judge and I know that His mercy triumphs over His judgment. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure that as many people as I can get to go to heaven, I'm going to work my hind end off to make sure they're not going to hell. That they're going to know Jesus, that they're going to hear the gospel, that they're going to know the love of God because we have to make sure that everybody hears this gospel. We want people to be assured. I want to be assured. I'm not living this kind of Christian life where it's questionable of whether or not I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm telling you something. I'm going to heaven, folks. Anybody amen me? Like, I'm following Jesus, and I know that He took my punishment. He took my place. And and, and you say, well, Clay, but what if you mess up? What if you do this? Well, let's not get into that. I'm staying focused on Jesus. Somebody amen me. And praise God, I believe that the Holy Spirit's able to keep me. I believe that if I struggle, that ultimately the blood of Jesus, I can repent. I've had my own struggles, but I believe in what Jesus Christ has done for me. Now, fifthly, there is soul sleep. This is a very popular one here in this area. And that just means that when you die, you basically go to sleep for a while. And you're, nothing happens. You just sort of black out like you're in a deep sleep. And then at the resurrection, you come back alive and you awake. And they do that because of this language. But it's really a Hebraism. The reason they use that language of sleep is because they know it's not the end. It doesn't literally mean you go to sleep. So what does that mean? Some people say, well, my loved ones who have went on before me, are they, are, are they in heaven now or not? Well, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you die, your spirit and your soul is still awake and immediately... Christians are present with the Lord. They don't go to sleep. They don't wait. But in the end, we will be resurrected. And in that moment, our spirit and our souls will be rejoined to our bodies and they will be glorified. And guess what? We will not even spend eternity in heaven out in the clouds. We will come back with Jesus and earth and heaven will be one. The earth will be replenished, but you will be in a body that never gets sick, never dies right here on this planet that is now glorified right here on this planet that never has any more stars or earthquakes or bad things going on but all the fruit is luscious and you got oranges this big you know what I'm saying that are the tastiest things that you've ever eaten and we're going to live here in a in the way that God designed it to be I'm looking forward to that folks I'm looking forward to that then you got cartoon heaven I don't even want to talk much about that but a lot of people they just think you're going to be a baby on a cloud setting and that's just not any good seventhly is revivification Seventhly is revivification. And, and, but what that means is, you know people who have near-death experiences? Like they die for a minute and then they come back to life. That's not resurrection. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. People do have near-death experiences and they almost die and they see the tunnel and the light and different things like that. Like that's a possibility. But ultimately that's not the afterlife. Resurrection is what we believe in. And what that means is that you physically die, but then you physically come back alive and your body is transformed never to die again. And that happens only through Jesus Christ. And as far as we know, there are all... Some people say, well, you know what, Clay, there's a lot of religions. How do we know which one's true? Christianity is the only one whose leader is no longer in the grave. The rest of them are still in the grave. Nobody's dealt with the death issue except Jesus Christ because sin is our greatest... Sin and death are our greatest enemies, folks. I know the devil throws up a pretty good fuss, but in the end, guess what? He's going to enter into the second death too. He's not our greatest enemy. Death is our greatest enemy, and that is why we fear it so much. And this is why Jesus came and He conquered it. Amen? So thirdly, God rules the future. 
Everybody's trying to predict the future right now. I'm telling you, you get some, of, some of y'all, I know you're charismatic people, and I am too. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but there's a lot of wonky people who prophesy all kinds of wonky things. And I mean, if you listen to, the, to these people that are prophesying right now, it's like there, there's 75 different things they're saying. China's going to invade in November. You know what I'm talking about? Well, if they do, you'll know that guy's right, right? But if not, I can't tell you the number of things that people begin to prophesy. And here's what I'm saying. When you see all these conspiracy theories and all these predictions about the future going on, you just need to go back into the Scripture because if you get too lost in that, I'm telling you something, folks. There are going to be a million different prophecies about a million different things. And you need to discern and you need to pray and you need to stay rooted and grounded in Scripture. And you need to make sure above all things that your relationship with Jesus is right. Because it doesn't matter if you've unlocked the seventh seal and understand all, you know what I'm saying, all revelation and mystery. You need to know Jesus. That's the thing that you need to be fixed on right now. And so he says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4 through 9, it says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And then I heard the man clothed in linen, linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? I like that right there because anybody come in here on Sunday and they say, like, you know what I heard, Clay? But I did not understand. Anybody amen me this morning? It's okay if you don't understand. You won't understand everything. Faith comes by hearing, not by understanding. There are a lot of things in the Bible I still read, and guess what? I don't understand. I know as a pastor it feel a lot better, and I'd have a lot more pride if I could say, oh, you know what, I've read the Bible, I understand it all. Sit down with me, I'll share it. But we don't understand it all. The Bible is a complex piece of literature. We are all continually learning. And a lot of times we got to humble ourselves because I'll be honest with you, things that I have believed have changed over the years. Most people in church, and I'm going to tell you this, most people in church, you know what they do? Well, that's what my pastor said. Let me tell you something. Your pastor is fallen and probably is not very, that, very educated, probably not even that sharp, whether it's me or somebody else out here. So I wouldn't put so much weight in what your pastor says on every single detail. And most people have never read the Scripture for themselves, never looked for themselves. He said, I, I, I heard, but I didn't understand. He said, my Lord, what shall the end of these things be? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Notice what he says in the beginning. He says, Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book. He said, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Travel has increased exponentially, especially since Daniel lived. Put up, the, put up that chart that I got here. You probably can't see this, but basically, this is international tourist arrivals by world region. In 1950, you legitimately had under a million under a million travelers going from nation to nation. Right now, over here in 2018, you got 1.4 billion a year. That's how much travel has increased. Many shall run to and fro, and it says, and knowledge shall increase. There was a guy named Buckminster Fuller. If you're having a kid, Buckminster again, great name. 1982, he created something called the Knowledge Doubling Curve, and he said that in 1900, right, scientists understood that knowledge doubled every 100 years. By 1945, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. 
Currently, right now, knowledge is doubling every 13 months. And they say that because of the internet, because of things like Google, that knowledge will soon get to the place where it doubles every 12 hours. What's that mean? Right now, I mean, see, the the, the knowledge that is within our reach. If you study history, the knowledge that we didn't have, the knowledge that we do have now, it's constantly doubling. People are figuring more things out about every aspect of human life, of the world, of biology, of technology, and all sorts of things. I mean, can you imagine, some of you all that are a little bit older, I don't want to call you out, but could you imagine the technology that we have today back when you were a little kid? I mean, even when I was just a kid, y'all know the phones that we had? The best games that we had was Snake. That was just a short time ago. Like you couldn't even take a picture on the first phone that I had, and now people are sending pictures like 3,000 a day. I mean, the knowledge is increasing, and these things are happening, but he's saying many people are going to run to and fro, and that's what people are doing. we got people flying here, going there, what? To increase knowledge. Because ultimately we think knowledge is going to save us, but you know Jesus said, or the Scripture said, Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And what the knowledge they were talking about was the knowledge of God. Knowing God. You can get a lot of knowledge. I love education. Get it if you can. But ultimately, no knowledge compares to knowing Jesus Christ. No knowledge compares to knowing Jesus Christ. He said this angel, he raised up two hands as a double oath. It's a double oath that he makes. He says, you know what, Daniel, this stuff right here, you might as well put it in the book. He said, it's sealed, double oath, hands to heaven. What I'm writing to you, Daniel, and what I'm telling you, it's going to happen. He said, you might as well seal it up. And Daniel said, how long? How long? Have you ever been in a situation where you said, Lord, how long am I going to have to deal with this? And sadly, the angel does not answer him. He says, how long, O Lord? And I get it because sometimes you go through some challenging things and you say, how long, Lord, am I going to have to deal with this? How long, Lord, am I going to have to deal with this? I've asked the Lord these things myself many times. It's just like with whenever, whenever Paul said, Lord, this thorn is in my flesh. Something's going on that I can't take. He asked him three times to take it from him and the Lord responded, didn't tell him when he was going to take it. He just said, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to get you through it. You may not know how long, but God's going to get you through it, folks. God's going to get you through what you're going through. And he says, here's the thing, Daniel. He says, says, we don't know how long, but ultimately you need to live your life and trust your God until that happens. You need to live your life and trust God's provision, God's protection for all His people. We don't know how long we got left. We have no idea, but until then, we're going to occupy until He comes. We're going to trust God. We're going to trust His provision. Number four. God refines the guilty. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 10 through 12, it says, Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Now, 1,290 days, if you do the math, on a Hebrew calendar of 360 days out of the year is exactly three and a half years. It's exactly three and a half years. What they are saying, and this is what a lot of people will teach. You ask me, do I believe it's true? It could be, praise God. But what they believe is that when you enter into this seven-year tribulation because of this language, 
He's saying that the Antichrist... The, the seven-year tribulation is basically this, a series of cataclysmic events in the world. They're political, they're spiritual, they are natural disasters that are going on. There's a multiple things that are happening in the world, a series of cataclysmic events that cause an economic shutdown to where it gives a reason for a man of power to rise to the forefront... And this man particularly who will be the Antichrist will rise to full power three and a half years into this situation. And when he does, the idea is that he will go into the temple, proclaim himself to be God, and he will set up the abomination that causes desolation. Now we talked about it in a couple of chapters ago. There was a guy in history back in the day that, that Gabriel talked about, that Daniel talked about, Antiochus Epiphanes. He did the same exact thing that the Antichrist will do. He went into the temple... Except he slaughtered a pig, and it was an abomination that caused everybody to flee. And what they're saying is, is that there's going to be a temple in the last days, and that this man is going to enter in three and a half years, 1290 days in, and he's going to proclaim himself to be God. It's going to be an abomination that causes desolation. And according to this, and according to what people believe, you got 1290 days before the return of Christ, essentially. But then it goes on because then it says, but this is interesting. It says, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. That's another 45 days. What's it trying to say? It's a metaphor for perseverance. The Jesus said, he who endures until the end shall be saved. We may have to go through some struggles. We may have to go through some trials. But Jesus will give you strength. He will give you endurance. And right now, some of you, many of you, you need strength, you need endurance. I'm not saying that we're in that time yet. I'm, I'm just teaching you hypothetical situations of what the Bible teaches. And ultimately what Jesus says in all of this is you may not know the answers to all of this stuff the same way with Daniel. These things are sealed up. He said, how long? I don't know. How do I understand all this stuff? I don't understand it. Guess what? That's okay because it's not important for you to understand and know all of it. It's important for you to know Jesus and rely on Him for protection, perseverance, right? And ultimately purpose in these last days. And God is going to keep you. And so what He says though is many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly and they won't understand. We're going through a season right now where I believe God over the entire earth is purifying people. He's refining people. See, because God makes dirty people clean and He makes dirty people refined. I had uh, the honor of just counseling a lot of people several years back. And, um, and I had notebooks. And I, sometimes I still go through and look at these notebooks of just, just taking notes of people's lives and trying to help them walk through these difficult situations. And I'm going to say that during that time, I probably got to uh, talk to maybe... 50 or 75 people, I don't know, that's just a guess, that, that were sexually abused, that were raped, uh, that just had some horrible things happen to them when they were young. And the thing that always struck me is that they were all, something that was done to them, that pain, um, it always caused them, they always said this, they said, I just feel dirty, I just feel dirty, I feel unclean, I feel defiled, I feel, I feel sick. And shame, shame to the point where it, it took so much in them to even open up and share what had happened to them. This, this filthiness, this uncleanness. And the Bible talks about this filthiness and this uncleanness and all these things. This was something that was done to them. And they felt it literally, physically. Sometimes I would, I would pray them through forgiveness and we would pray through forgiving themselves and they literally would try to say it out of their mouth and just could not say it because of the spirit of shame that was weighing on their hearts. But ultimately, let me tell you something, God would set them free from shame. 
He would make them feel clean. He would lift that guilt. He would lift that condemnation. And some of you need to know that God, he, His blood... Look, Jesus died. You say, you say, but I feel unworthy. I feel like I'm just damaged goods. I feel like I'm no good. No, Jesus died for you to know that you are His goods. That you are His most prized possession. That He loves you and in His eyes because of His blood, you are so clean that He can come and live on the inside of you. And you can know that and you can experience that. And some people need free from that shame and that condemnation. And see, the Scripture says in 1 John 1.8, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. This is what sin does to us. It makes us feel unclean. It makes us feel guilty. And it gives Satan an opportunity to come, to come and accuse us and say, see, look at you. Look at what you've done. You are garbage. You're not worth anything. And Jesus says, I don't want my people living up under the weight of that sin and condemnation and guilt and shame. So I'm going to go and I'm going to take the guilt, I'm going to take the shame, I'm going to take the condemnation, and I'm going to stand in their place so that I can cleanse them with my blood, and I can clothe them in my righteousness, and they can stand and know that they are clean, that they are forgiven. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right now, let me tell you something, people are frantic about germs, aren't they? Somebody amen me like this. Like I went, I went to Walmart not long ago, and I went down the wrong aisle. You know what I'm saying? They got them arrows. You got to walk this particular way. And there was a woman where her kids all masked up and everything, and I, and I masked up too. But I pushed in there, and I got it. She looked at me. Started backing up. You're going the wrong way. I was like, my bad. I'll back out here. I'll back out. I thought, boys, this is, in my mind, I thought this is what the lepers felt like in the Old Testament. Because everywhere they went, they had to say, unclean, unclean. I'm just going to start doing that everywhere I go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> unclean, don't come around here. Clear out. They, they had to live that way. And look, we're, you can clean germs in various ways. When, the, when this thing first started, you know, we, we looked to try to buy as much hand sanitizer as we possibly could. I had to go to a distillery to buy hand sanitizer because everybody had bought it all up. We got stuff out there that smells like straight moonshine. <laughs> That we used to pick up down here from, oh, what's his name? You know what I'm saying? Like, it smelled just like the stuff they used to brew. I mean, I'm thinking, man, I'm washing my hands in this moonshine right here. My point being is there's a lot of different ways that you can clean physical things. But there's only one way that you can clean internal things. And that's through the blood of Jesus. We need cleansing on the outside, but man, more than anything, we need a cleansing on the inside. We need to be washed in the blood of Jesus. We need to be purified. We need to let the Holy Spirit come. And let me tell you something. If you are in sin and you don't know whether or not you're saved, whether or not Jesus has done, you can make that right today. You can say, you know what? I'm turning from sin, Lord Jesus. I'm believing in you. And when you put faith in Christ and you profess Him as your Lord and you say, I'm going to follow Him, there is a cleansing that comes when you confess your sin to Him and you receive that forgiveness. There is a cleansing that is real that you feel it, that you know it. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. But you know, we can still get defiled because even as a Christian, sometimes I watch things or I see things or I listen to things that maybe I shouldn't and I just feel a little bit dirty. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible teaches that, that it is the water of the Word of God. That you, Right now, right now, we are taking a spiritual bath in the Word of God. You should leave here every Sunday morning feeling refreshed feeling cleansed, right? And during the week when you pick up some defilement, go back to the Word of God, open the Scriptures, and you're washing yourself in that bath of the water of the Word of God. And it cleans all of that defilement and it deals with our shame and it breaks that off of our lives. Amen?
He says, many are going to be refined. Many are going to be purified. They're going to be dressed in white. He said, but the wicked, they're going to continue to do wickedly. And they're not going to understand. Here's my last point. God rewards the faithful. God rewards the faithful. See, in the very end, Daniel 12, 13, he says, But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. You shall rest. Now, can I tell you this? In Christ, there's rest regardless of what we face. Sometimes I get a little bit, bit anxious about stuff. I had some ang- times of anxiety during this whole COVID thing, and sometimes I get a little more wound up than I should get. i got to be honest with you. This week, the Lord shared with me this. He said, he, he said Clay, I want, you to, I want you to understand this, that your stress is not real. He said, you're, you're making it something. He said, it's not the circumstance that's the stress. It's your reaction to the circumstance that's causing you stress. I said, well, thank you for that, Lord. It's not your circumstances that are causing your stress. It's reaction to your circumstances that is causing you stress. Stress is reactive. Holy Spirit peace is responsive. In other words, when that circumstance comes your way, you can say, you know what? I'm still in Christ. I still have the Holy Spirit. I can choose to respond in love because I know God's got this well in control. He, he did, this did not take him by surprise. He's got our school situation in hand. He's got the situation with our kids in hand. Oh, but what if somebody catches the virus? Guess what? He's got that in hand. He's got everything in hand. We don't have to work. We can, make, we can take the best precautions we can possibly make, but at the end of the day, sometimes you just got to let go and put it in God's hands and say, Lord, I can only do so much. I can only wash myself so much. I can only take a bath in hand sanitizer once a day. Like ultimately, I cannot control everything that's going on, and I'm not going to react in stress to my circumstances. I'm going to respond with the Holy Spirit and put it in God's hands. Because even if something bad happens, guess what? God's got that. Even if I mess up and make a mistake, guess what? God's Redeemer. He's got that covered. He's going to take care of us. He's going to deal with it. He said He's going to give you rest. And He said, you're going to arise to your inheritance. Here's what I like about Daniel. He's going to arise to, to, to his inheritance. Why? Because Daniel was always faithful. He never sought to be famous. Daniel never sought to be famous. He was always faithful, though, and because he was faithful, he became famous. So here's what he's saying. He's saying at the end of the day, we just got to remain faithful to God. God may be calling you to something differently than He's calling me to, but if you are faithful to what God is asking you to do, you're going to experience your inheritance at the end of this thing. And He has an inheritance waiting on you. There are rewards at the end of this life. 2 Corinthians 5.10 It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Basically, Gabriel was saying, Guess what, Daniel? You've lived a good life. You've been faithful through hard times. You've hung on to God and you've led people to God. You've demonstrated who God is in your life. And guess what? You may not have much in this life. Matter of fact, Daniel had very little to nothing. He lost his family. He lost probably all of his possessions. Owned to nothing. But let me tell you something. Can you imagine his inheritance in heaven? Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where where moths and rust corrupts and destroy. But He says, Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. You can take nothing with you there, but you can go ahead and send some stuff before you. 
Every person you're praying for, every person you've talked to Jesus about, every time you've went out of your way to love somebody and be generous to somebody, and every time you've given into the kingdom, your treasures are going before you. You're storing up for yourself an eternal inheritance. I remember one time I was depressed, son. Honestly, because of the ministry. I was in ministry for a few years. I wasn't going nowhere. I was trying to preach when I could. Had limited opportunities. When I did preach, there'd be like three people show up. Somebody amen me, right? And I got more, a little few more than three listening this morning. I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, this is ridiculous. I feel like you called me into the ministry to do this. I know you have, and there's no good happening. I said, you, you check, by the way, Lord, how much money I make? I've been saying that for a few years, you know. There ain't no parent telling their kid, you know what, son, when you grow up, you need to tell you a good profession. You need to be a pastor in Clay County, Kentucky. And nobody tells their kids that. Somebody amen me. Nobody tells their kids that. Because there ain't many good benefits to it. But I remember saying, I remember saying in my heart, after I, after I got done preaching, I was just, I was depressed. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, Lord, I just don't know how much longer I can do this. And this guy, I still remember, is Jake Owens. Is his name. Y'all may know him, may not know him. He comes up to me, and it was so weird because I had this internal conversation going on, and he didn't even, like, he doesn't even say stuff like this very often from what I know about him. He comes up to me, and he, and he goes, he, he just puts his hand on me. He says, Clay, he said, buddy, you're faithful to the Lord. I like that about you. And then he said this. He said, your reward is not in this life. Man, that, it stuck with me. This was years ago. He said, your reward's not in this life. He smiled at me and he walked off. And the Lord just began to pour into my soul and he said, Clay, it ain't about how much money you earn, how big your house is going to be, even how big your congregation is. It's about whether or not you are faithful to what I'm calling you to do. And you need to understand that if you are faithful to what I'm calling you to do, there is a mansion, son, that's waiting on you. There is something in the afterlife that is waiting because you have been obedient to what I've called to do. And what kind of a waste would it be to put all your eggs in the basket of what is going to perish here on this earth and not store up for yourself treasures in heavens? There is a reward. In the Bible, there's five crowns that are given. I want to go through these really quickly, but if you read these, one, the crown of life is given. And it's for those who persevere under trials, remaining faithful to Jesus. That when you go through hard times, you say, you know what, I'm going to stick with Jesus. I know it's hard. I want to give up. I want to get mad at God, but I'm going to stick with Jesus. The crown of life will be given to you. There's an incorruptible crown for those who demonstrate self-denial and spiritual discipline as they set their heart on heavenly things that don't perish rather than earthly things that do. He's saying, you know what? There's an incorruptible crown that you say, you know what, God, I'm not going to focus on what I can gain here on earth. I'm going to practice spiritual discipline and self-denial, and I'm going to focus on the heavenly reality. He said there's a crown of righteousness for those who love Christ and eagerly anticipate His second coming. For those of you who are just saying, you know what, Lord, I love you, I'm in love with you, and I cannot wait until you return. There's a crown waiting for you. There's a crown of glory for those who shepherd the flock in unselfish love and is example to the others. When people are shepherds and they lead the flock and they, they lead their family, when they, when they shepherd the people in unselfish love, there's a crown waiting for them, the crown of glory. And then lastly, there's the crown of rejoicing. And this crown is for those who engage in evangelism outside of the church and lead souls to Christ. Daniel said many are going to rise and he says they're going to shine like the brightness of the stars forever and ever. I believe that each of us, we got a certain amount of light 
light on the inside of us based on how we're allowing Christ to live and breathe and move through us. And I believe that when we die, there's a different degree of light that's going to be ascending into heaven. He said, there are going to be some that lead many souls to Christ that shine like the brightness of the stars forever and ever. We've got to get fixed, folks, on eternal things. We've got some things to look forward to. I want to tell you that you've got some things to look forward to in this life, but man, you've got something to look forward to in eternity. And I want you to set your mind past your current circumstances, past your current troubles, and say, I'm looking forward to that, Lord Jesus. Make sure my heart is refined. Make sure my heart is purified. Make sure I'm ready for that season in my life when I meet you face to face. So I want you to bow your heads right now. Just close your eyes.